Hi, welcome to the Refuge House Church Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Here at the Refuge House, we help people discover their God-given uniqueness through the teaching of God's Word so that they can be empowered to make a difference and impact their word for Christ. So here is what we need you to do. We need you to grab your Bible, your notebook, your pens, and then get ready for a powerful message and see what God is going to do. I believe there are people in your life that probably need this message. So go ahead and share this to them and invite them to be a part of what God is doing today. Thank you and enjoy this week's message. Still looking at the series established in the foundations of the faith. And we're looking at the faith and the faith life. We began to talk about the God kind of faith that every believer have received the day they got born again. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1 says that we have obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So from the day you got born again, you obtain. That word obtain means you possess or you have in your possession as a child of God the faith of God or what you call the God kind of faith. I'd like you to say that. Say I have the God kind of faith. Can you say that like you believe it? Say I have the God kind of faith. Now that God kind of faith is through which you can live the new life that you now have in Christ. The Bible says the just shall live by what? By faith. The just shall live by faith. In some episodes, it says the just will walk by faith. It's the same thing. So there is no other alternative to living for the believer outside faith. We understand the power of faith and what it represents in our life. The enemy knows that very well. The Bible says that it is our faith that overcomes the world. We know that very well. So you cannot have victory over the world without faith. We also understand that our faith is fundamental to pleasing God. Because the scripture says without faith is what? Impossible to please God. You can't relate with God outside faith. You can only relate with God by faith. So faith is central to your life. The Bible also likens faith to a defense. It says take up the shield of faith wherewith you will quench all the fiery doubts of the enemy because the enemy is shooting arrows at you every day all these arrows are sense based arrows arrows of the senses or the sight realm if you don't operate by faith they will hit you but the only way to quench them or put them out is by taking up the shield of faith everybody said the shield of faith so it's important you understand faith as a lifestyle and I've told you that faith is not a spare tire. It's not something you pull out and use when you are in trouble. Faith is what you live by. Say amen. You live by faith. Everything you do, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, is within the parameter of faith. Outside faith, there is no life. God cannot relate with you outside faith. Praise the name of the Lord. And we also, in the course of our teaching, establish from scripture that the God kind of faith is not located in our head but in our spirit is that not so it's the faith of god is located in the inner man or the spirit man say amen. amen 
That's why faith is not a head thing. Faith is a heart thing. Praise the Lord. And when we use the word heart, we're talking about our inner man, our spirit man, that real part of us. Because the one you see is your body. The real you is within. It's not seen by the visible eyes. We only see your physical part, which is called your body. Your body is made up of your five senses through which you can identify and relate with this word. But never forget you are not a body, you live inside a body. When you begin to see yourself as this five physical body, then you will become subject to satanic manipulation and oppression. And he wants you to think that way. Because if you think you're a body, you won't function by faith, you'll function by sight. Hallelujah. And, and, and you need to also understand too that because you are not a body, you need to guide and direct your feeling. Your feeling is a faculty of your soul. If you don't learn to function properly by understanding that you are a spirit being that is created in the image and after the likeness of God, so you are to walk by faith which is based on the word of God, and you allow your sight to define your personality then your feelings will drive you in a direction that will not honor your faith. You're supposed to learn to train your body, train your soul to respond to your faith. Is that clear? Because your senses are a gift from God. They are not demonic. They're part of your being. But the enemy wants to use them against you by feeding them with the wrong information. When your senses operate from facts, it's going to abuse your life. But when your senses operate from the word of God, it will add to your empowerment and your victory in life. Say amen. I didn't hear everybody. I mean, you guys should go to a stage where somebody doesn't have to remind you to say what you should. All right? Okay, go to Mark chapter 11, verse 22 to 24. That's a key verse. Jesus introduced the God kind of faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 to 24. We saw what happened. He spoke to a fig tree. And within 24 hours, the fig tree died. He released the force of faith. Remember, we've said during the teaching that faith releases the power of God. Our connection to the power of God and the release of God's power is by faith. Say amen. And in case you don't know that, God's power is actually real and active. But your connection and your engagement of that power is by faith. Praise the name of the Lord. All right? So all the instances we saw in scripture where faith was engaged, the power of God flew. To heal, to deliver, to bless, to feed, to restore, and to do all kinds of miracles. And we have access to that power. That's one of the prayer Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians, that we may know the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe. Now, that's King James. In modern language, that we may know the exceeding greatness of his power that has been made available to them who believe. Say with me, say God's power is available to me. Some of the things we cry and complain about, the power to change it is there. Because Jesus gave you authority and gave you power through his name. But without faith, that power won't respond. And the enemy knows this. That through faith you release God's power to effect changes. So what Jesus did was use his faith and channel the power of God to dry up that tree. So when they saw that, they were like, wait, master, the thing you cursed 
or you spoke to is dead. And he showed them how he did it. Mark 11, verse 22 to 24. Are you there? And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. We told you why he said that. But in, in the New Testament, we won't say have faith. You already have it. We will say release your faith. Is that clear? So you need to understand the terminology. At this point in time, Jesus hasn't died. So faith was not located in the human spirit. They were operating on faith externally based on what Jesus told them. But we will have an eternal connection with Christ through his faith. Because his faith is now in our heart. Say amen. amen. So verse 23 says, For verily I say unto you, or truly I say unto you, that whosoever, meaning there is no limit. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be a pastor. The fact that you're a believer, it's enough. Whosoever shall say, that's the first term, say means to speak to this mountain. He used the operation of the God kind of faith to address whatever looks like an obstacle. Mountain represents impossibilities from the natural point of view. It could be obstacles, it could be resistance, it could be hindrances, whatever it is. He said, whosoever will say to this mountain, be that removed and be that cast into the sea. Now, that's good news because through the God kind of faith, we have power to speak to mountains. Say amen. We can command mountains to move. All right? But it tells us a clause there. And shall not doubt in his heart. The word heart there means your inner man. You will not doubt in your heart that... You will not that you are, but you believe that those things which you say or say it shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. He applied that to addressing obstacles. You are not to talk to God about your mountains, you are to talk to your mountain. Is that clear? What, what, let me put it in another way. You are not supposed to complain. God has given you authority to deal with anything that wants to make you complain. If you are complaining, is it that you're not walking in the word? You're walking in worries and care. That's why you complain. So instead of speaking to the problem, you are talking about the problem. And when you talk about mountains, they don't go, they grow. The more you talk about the problem, the bigger it becomes. You are not supposed to talk about problem. You are supposed to talk to it. You are supposed to command it. Anything you sense as an obstacle to your life, to your faith, and to the goodness of God in your life, you tell it to move. Say amen. You have authority to do that. Hallelujah. Then he applies the God kind of faith, which is also based on the principles of faith too, to your needs. Verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever you desire, the word desire means whatever you want. When you pray, believe. You see the word believe again. Believe that you receive them. Now the word believe is a spiritual transaction. It's got nothing to do with what you see. To believe it's, it's, it's an exchange. God is a spirit. You are a spirit. The way you receive from a spirit is by believing. Is that clear? Did you hear what I said? That's why I use the word believe. You don't see God with your physical eyes. But by faith, you can receive from God. And through faith, you believe. He said you believe. If whatever you say when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall do what? You shall have them. See, believe you receive them. And for you to believe, you have to know the word of God. Because belief is based on what the word of God says. Say, I hear you. 
Believe is based on the word. You believe by the word. To believe means you take God at his word. The word have has to do with when it manifests in the natural realm. Say amen. Now, whatever you are expecting will never become or you will never have it without first believing. And according to the principles of faith, if you want to receive your desire, it has to be based on the word. Because if you don't know what God's word says, you can't believe it. The enormity or the seriousness or the whatever kind, whatever description you may give to the story may be so big to you and may look very impossible to you. And, and you find it, whenever people find it difficult to believe God is because they don't know his word. And if you don't know the word of God, you can't believe God. Hallelujah. That's why he gave us his word. Once you know what he says, you can believe him. See, I hear you. All right? So, Jesus told the disciples here about the God kind of faith and that the God kind of faith operates by believing in the heart once, then speaking it with the mouth. Always. If you believe it, then you can have it. Say amen. See, I hear you. Yeah. So, we said that the obstacle to faith, the speaking part, in order for it not to just be positive speaking and something ritualistic, where you speak like an anthem. It must be backed by believing it with your heart. And the only obstacle to believing with the heart is doubt in the heart. Why is it that many of us don't believe in the heart? It's because we doubt in the heart. And we said, in verse 23, he said, if you will not doubt in your heart, what does it mean by not doubting in your heart? Because if you believe that those things which you said will come to pass, you shall have it. So the obstacle is, if I do not believe that what I say will come to pass, that means I have an issue with doubt and I have to deal with it. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I have an issue with doubt. If you cannot believe God in an area, then that means you are dealing with a doubt in that area. Why do believers doubt? So we're going to look at how to overcome doubt. Hallelujah. But first of all, what did we say to doubt means? We said to doubt means to take side, position, reference, or stand against the word of God. See, the word of God has a stand. The word of God has a stand. The word of God is a report in itself. But you have other reports. You have other stands. You have other opinion. The word of God is op an opinion in itself. It's an opinion of God. Jesus, I mean, God says, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. The word of God are the thoughts and the ways of God. So God's word is the opinion of God. When people doubt, what it simply means that God's word is no longer the final say. They've taken a position against God's position. They've taken an opinion against God's opinion. They've taken a reference against God's reference. That is usually the product of shifting our focus from the word of God. You remember what we said in Matthew chapter 14, verses 21 to 39, when Jesus said to Peter, come, in verse 29, he said, if you, it is you, master, tell me to come. He said, come. And the Bible said the moment Peter heard the word come, 
Based on that word, he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water towards Jesus. That word was what carried him. Because the word of God is superior to the sense realm. But something happened in verse 30. He says, when he saw the strong wind, Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind, when he saw. In other words, his faith shifted or his focus shifted from what Jesus said to what he saw. And every time our focus shifts from what God says to what we see, to what they say, to what is going on, we're going to sink. Because the only thing that can sustain us is God's word. So Peter doubted because he saw the strong wind and the waves and he was terrified. And we said that Peter shifted his focus from faith to the sight realm. And we said the sight realm in this context refers to knowledge or a knowing or an awareness acquired through the senses from three places or three factors. One, our experiences, education, and circumstance or situation. These are where doubts are originated from. Whenever you doubt God's word, what it simply means is that you are not operating by knowing or an awareness or a familiarity with either your experience, maybe you've known something about your experience or about your education or about the circumstance or you're not here because somebody died. That means you too will die. Have you, have you, have you seen situations like that before? Say somebody died. So is it because somebody died, you should die too? Is that the law? Is there anything like that in the Bible? But something in you just... So, so if, if somebody can die, that means I too. No! That's the devil trying to lie to you. He's trying to use somebody's experience to tell you that because the person had that same experience, you will have it. No! The word of God didn't say that. But if you are not focused on the word and you shift your focus from the report of God and you look at the sight realm, either through your education, your experience, or your circumstance, you're going to doubt God. Many have started doubting God because they are more aware of their situation than they are of what God says. They look at their circumstance. It's not promising. They don't seem, they don't seem I mean, the whole, there's no hope. Everything seems bleak, blue, dark. Nobody's helping me. How can I come out of this? But you look at what God says. And, and the beauty about the word of God is when God speaks to you, it takes, it demands your attention, shift from the sight realm to the word realm. Say amen. The word realm. Glory to God. As long as we doubt, we cannot believe with the heart. Write this down. Doubt is a decision. What did I say? And he saw. No, he didn't say the devil made him see. He saw. So doubt is a choice. Bad one. A very bad choice. That is not what something does to you. It's what you do to yourself. Hallelujah. Say with me, say doubt is a choice. Say it louder. One more time. Say to believe is also a choice. Say I choose to believe and not to doubt. Popular statement that Kenny Hagin usually says, I heard from Copeland and all the wonderful teachers, 
He says, starve your doubt and feed your faith. Starve your doubt and do what? And feed your faith. Starve your doubt and feed your faith. But for some believers, it's the opposite. They feed their doubt and they starve their faith. How do you starve your faith? You focus on the sight realm. Then your faith becomes incapacitated to walk. How do you starve your doubt? Focus on the word. The more you focus on the word, the more your faith gets bolder. Say amen. amen. Glory to God. As long as we doubt, we cannot believe with the heart. That stops us from operating the God kind of faith. The God kind of faith is engaging God's power over the affairs of life. It's manifesting divinity in humanity. But when you doubt, you can operate it. Because God's power will not back your own belief. It won't back your doubt. God's power is not going to back your fear. Hallelujah. Doubt makes us stagger. The word stagger means to wave. Makes us stagger at the promises of God. Just like what it did to Peter. It does this by producing a double-mindedness in us. We become introduced to another opinion outside the opinion of the word of God. You are tempted to fear. God's word says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. So God's opinion is very clear. I have not given you. But he said, but I'm afraid. Which one will you believe? You either you choose to agree with what God says or you choose to agree with what you feel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Something comes to you in the dream and says you're going to die. Is it that you choose to believe it or you open your mind and say, no, I'm not going to die because I dwell in the secret place of what? The most high. We're dealing with a battle where the law of, the, of sin and death, which is defeated already, will seek to gain access into your life. But they will require your permission because the, the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. Another word for the power of the tongue is your decision. You want to speak life? Your choice. You want to speak death? Your choice. God said, I've set before you life and death. Choose life so that you and your, uh, your, your seed will live. So if you see death, it's because you chose death. And when you choose death, you start saying it. One of the ways you choose is you say. That's how you do it. Bible says, take no thought saying. How do you collect a thought? It enters your mind. How do you endorse it? You start speaking it. Once you start speaking it, you've accepted the thought. And once you accept the thought, you program your spirit to agree with it. Abba Kirelli says, <coughs> excuse me, hallelujah. Now, hear this. Double-mindedness results when the word is no longer our sole focus. When I start behaving like politician, I will decampo, no, I will stay. I will decampo, I will stay. I will decampo, I will stay. So people cannot tell where you are. Say, so well, if this one happens like this, I may go. If the people say I should leave, I will leave. If the people say I should stay, I will stay. Is it the people that brought you to the party? I'm using that because it's our day-to-day -day example. Double-mindedness is when we begin to consider the knowledge we have acquired in an area due to our experience. Be very careful to process your experience. Experience is not the best teacher. Never ever say that. You know why experience cannot be the best teacher? Write this down because experience is limited. What did I say? It cannot be the best teacher because it is limited. In all areas, experiences are what? Limited. 
If you had an experience in a situation, it is limited to that situation. So you, you have no ground to generalize it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fact that you went to a bad school, does it make every school, does it make every school bad? Answer me now. I'm not hearing you. Does it make every school bad? No. Sorry, you went to a bad school. You had a bad... Now, because you had a bad geography teacher, does it make all the geography teacher bad? That's unlimited experiences. So don't say experience. Say, no, no. Ah, I don't like geography. If you know the teacher I had, okay, let me tell you, geography is bad. Why? The teacher that taught me made geography look terrible. That's a very uninformed, ill-informed, cripple-informed statement. You cannot use one experience to generalize. Experience are limited. Just because it didn't work for one person doesn't mean it's not going to work. The fact that people fail exam does not mean people are not passing exam. Is that not true? Answer me now. The same exam people are getting C. People are making A. Same exam. Is it that the person who got A was given a special question? Then the person that made F was given... And, and, and if you notice, those who make F, they, they always have strange explanation. See that question, eh? I've not seen the mad teachers before. <laughs> Have you heard them talk like that? He never teaches us. He go give us what he not said for the notes. I was, I was trying to help my daughter, Abigail, over her homework one day. So they asked a the question she was asking me. I said, they have taught you. He said, no, they've not taught us. I said, are you sure? He said, yes. They've not taught you. He said, yes. I said, what is the... I said, why will your teacher ask you something that they have not taught you? I said, no. I said, okay. Um, what is the question? I said, I said, is there any topic like that you know? I said, yes. Okay, open it. She now read it. She now read it. She said, hey, it's here. I said, okay, so it's there. Said, hey. That's how some of us behave. When situation... I, I don't know. The fact that you don't know doesn't mean that there's no knowledge. That's why to know is a choice. To be ignorant is what? It's a choice. If you are poor, it's because you chose it. You chose it by being ignorant of principles you should be practicing. That's why one of the most, most difficult challenges faced by people today, especially <coughs> those from the developing nation, is that we don't like to read. We're bad readers. We think reading is only for people that go to school. As I do, if I ask some of you, how many, how many faith books have you read, beginning with my own, in the last six months? You've not read anything. Knowledge is available, but you are not choosing to know. You hear the word of God every time, but the choice is yours. Somebody said the choice is yours. The day you get a revelation that the choice is yours, it will change your life. To know is a choice. To be ignorant is what? Is a choice. Most of the things you're dealing with, you've been taught the solution, but because of your poor culture of study and the willingness to know, it will look as if God has not said it. All right? So be careful. Without when we begin to consider knowledge we have acquired in that area due to experience, education, and circumstances. So, no, no, this is work. How, how do I know? In biology, they taught us that man is used to be a goat. No, I'm not a goat. I, maybe you came from goat. Sorry, is it goat or ape? Ape, thank you. Say him. I said, not me. Even when they taught me, I did very well in biology, but I knew my faith guided me very well. 
Then some of you will now leave it and come and say, you see? That's why I told you. And like I remember when they did a philosophy class for us in year one, in the GST courses. They taught people about philosophy, how people engage in terms of how they reason, the basis of argument, premise, and hypothesis, blah, blah, blah. So people now started looking forward to practice it with. I was just looking at them. I said, no, 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 your premise is wrong. I said, hey, look at you. Philosophy of men. Be careful. If you don't know how to process them with the word, they will become a tool of doubt to nullify your faith. You begin to say, this Bible says, let's, let's look at it first. Let, let's look at it. You know, I saw one TikTok one day and somebody asked a question. Okay, if this Bible is true, how come they were this, 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 this? I now laughed. I said, that's gross ignorance. You know what Paul said? He said, avoid questions that gender strife. One of them is from sciences. He said it in the Bible. It's there. Be careful. Anything that will introduce doubt to your faith is targeting your destiny because your destiny is powered by your faith. Why? Your faith is based on the power of God. Say amen. So anything that causes you to doubt is trying to disconnect you from the assistance of the power of God in your life. Am I making any sense? Because we live by the power of God. Praise God. Whenever we doubt, we begin to hesitate. To hesitate means, according to dictionary.com, it means you become reluctant. You, you, you start dragging your feet. You become reluctant to act because of fear. You become indecisive. Procrastination becomes the play in your life. You're not sure anymore, so you, you don't take a stand. God does not know where to agree with you. That's why he says a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. In this situation, one way he says, my God will help me. In this situation, now wow, I don't know what's going to happen. Because so where are you standing? Alright? Whenever we are double-minded, we hesitate. Because we are not sure. We become indecisive. Because the word of God is no longer the final authority. It's no longer the basis of our action anymore. Alright? We confirm that in James chapter 1, verse 7. And eight. All right, from verse six, say, let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Cannot be trusted by God. Because one minute he's complaining, the other minute he's speaking faith. All right, so how do we overcome doubt? Number one, write this down. As long as we live in this world, we're, only, we're always going to be tempted with doubt. Doubt is one of the evil you are not going to be tempted with. But praise God, God has made a way of escape. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's the good news. As long as we live in this world, we're going to be tempted with doubt. Doubt will always seek to come through our experience, education, and circumstances. The system of this world is programmed with doubt and unbelief. And I, I was just writing today that this hit me. How many of you know that a coin has two parts, head and tail? Is that not so? Yes. Is that not true? A coin has head and tail. So two parts make a coin. It just dawned on me that fear is like a coin. And the two parts of fear is doubt and unbelief. They're together. Fear is like a coin that has two sides. Doubt and what? 
Where there is doubt, unbelief is there. They are like twins. They are related. Doubt is like a doorway to unbelief. When you doubt, it's because another belief system is trying to replace God's word in your heart. And what you need to understand is doubt and unbelief will always produce fear. Because doubt and unbelief, they are from fear. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Praise the name of the Lord. Doubt and unbelief are two sides of the coin of fear. But praise God, we can always overcome doubt. Say that. Say we can always overcome doubt. Overcoming doubt is something you do all the time. If you overcome doubt in this area, you have to stand. And also overcome that in other areas. It doesn't stop. It's an ongoing battle we fight. But the good news is that we can always have victory over it all the time. Say amen. amen. Every great exploit of faith is usually the product of overcoming doubt and unbelief. That's the good news. Now, how do we overcome doubt? Everybody write it down. Say, by faith. By faith. Only one person. Okay. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. How do you overcome? In the kingdom, we are told how to overcome. And how do we overcome? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. This is very important. You need to take particular emphasis on what we're about to read. Because it's not just the basis to overcoming doubt, it's the basis to overcoming the word. Doubt is one of the products of the word system. And Jesus said, as long as you're in the world, you're going to have tribulation or challenges. One of the challenges of the world is doubt. But he has given us a tool to overcome because he overcame for us. Say amen. All right, verse 4. He said, for whatsoever is born of God. Are you born of God? Say, I am born of God. Whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What is it? Our faith. But you see, our faith has a basis. Because there's what you call natural faith. Natural faith is not based on Christ. It's based on science experience. For instance, people enter a plane and fly because they believe the plane will take off and land. Is that not true? Eh? Did, did, do all the people that enter a plane believe Jesus? Eh? I remember we were in one plane... Uh, I don't know where we're going. Was it to Lagos or somewhere? I can't remember. Then there was heavy turbulence. So the was telling Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was very funny anyway. But if you laugh, it will look as if you're not serious. <clears throat> I remember the woman, elderly woman, grabbed my hand. I looked like, what is going on? Am I, why are you asking me what is going on? She grabbed my hand from the entire journey to the plane landed. Hey, hey, so... If I laugh, it will look like I'm mocking her. So I just kept serious. I just, I didn't say anything. I just. So one man said, ah, it was me. I was, for interesting. The man was reading newspaper. He's the one person. He said, it's okay, it's okay that the plane is built to handle it. You know, that it's part of the design of the plane. Don't worry, nothing will happen. The man was not speaking because his faith is based on Jesus. The man was speaking because his faith is based on what? Science. Because one of the designs for plane is to also deal with what? Turbulence. That the fact that they make big, big, big doesn't mean it's going to crash. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So when I looked at it, I just smiled and laughed. 
Alright? But you need to know what our faith is based upon. Go to verse 5. I know we quote verse 4, but we don't read verse 5. First John chapter 5 and verse 5. Are you ready? What did he say? Who is he that overcome the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What is the basis of our faith? Because it's based on Jesus, the Son of God. It's based on Christ and what he's done. That's why when we confess the word of God, we are not speaking positive statements. It's not positive energy. You know, people talk, I don't like your energy, it's negative. What do you mean by energy? What energy is what, what are you talking? What English are you speaking? There's nothing like positive. What they say, no, you are negative. You speak negative energy. That's their whole issue. In the world, he said that you are in Christ or Satan is your father. So we don't do positive energy. We're not positive things. Confessing the word is not positive, uh, positive speaking. So you need to be positive. You are too negative. Eh -eh. Our overcoming faith is based on who? Jesus, the son of God. It's based on him and what he has done. Are you hearing me? When I say I am the healed and healthy, I'm speaking that because over 2,000 years ago, he took my sickness by taking my sickness and this upon his body and he was wounded for my transgression. The chastisement of my peace was laid upon him and by his stripe, we were what? We were healed. That's why we declare, I cannot be sick. That's why you say it. I, I choose health. Why? Because Jesus took it away. And if Jesus took it away, you shouldn't take it. Am I making any sense? Who is it that overcomes the world? But he that world believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What does it mean to believe? It means to agree with who Jesus is and to agree with what he has done. So we overcome doubt by faith. That is based on Christ. Say amen. So how do we do it? Let's, let's begin with Abraham, who is called the father of faith. You know, Abraham dealt with Christ in the Old Testament. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Is that not so? He said, before your father, I am. So he said, I dealt with Abraham. Okay? Now, watch this. How do we overcome that? Number one, locate the promise of God. Locate what? The promise of God. Locate the promise of God. It is assumed that in every area you are, you are engaging God, you have the knowledge of his promises in that area. Because if you don't, you have no basis to deal with doubt. The only reason, in fact, in, fact the first, in the first place, the reason why doubt is hitting you or attacking you is because it's trying to get your focus away from the promise of God. That's why you don't follow God by assumption. Assumption means there's no basis. The promise of God or the promises of God is the basis of our engaging God. See, I hear you. People tend to doubt when they are, one, either ignorant or weak on confidence with regards to the promise of God. You will doubt, you will mostly be a victim of unbelief, which makes it easy for you to doubt if you don't know. That means you're ignorant. But sometimes people doubt because their confidence in the promise of God has become weak. The word of God or the promise of God is no longer their sole focus. They are beginning to entertain other opinion. And that opinion is beginning to wear off their confidence in God. 
They don't speak with the same assurance they used to speak anymore. When we are ignorant of what God has said, you cannot believe. That's a fact, scriptural fact. If you are ignorant of what God has said, you cannot believe. Also, when you are weak on confidence, it is a sign that your focus has started shifting from God. Now, staying in the place of faith begins with locating the promise of God to you. And the promise of God to you are made available to us through the written scripture. Everybody lift your Bible, whether it's analog or phone-based, iPad-based or something. But it's also good to have physical Bible too. This electronic thing, don't trust them too much. All right? The word of God or the written scripture is a repository of the promises of God in every single area of life. Every single area of life. The promises of God are there. Praise the name of the Lord. The fact that some of them were written to the Jewish people doesn't mean that they are not yours. For instance, the blessings of Abraham belongs to us. Is that not true? That's what the Bible said. Jesus has made a curse for us because it became a curse of the tree that the promise of Abraham might be, be, belong to the Gentiles. It belongs to us. Also, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Is that not true? What is the curse of the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verse 15 to the end. He didn't say we are redeemed from the blessing. Are you hearing me? Because the blessing is part of the covenant of Abraham. God spoke about the children of Israel to Abraham. He said from 400 years from now, this is what's going to happen to your children. So the promises that were given came out of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So you see the word, the God of Abraham, Isaac and what? Jacob. All the promises of the goodness of God, are you still with me? All the promises of the goodness of God in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament belongs to us. Are you listening to what I'm saying? But the curses doesn't belong to us. Amen. Because Jesus paid to deliver us from them. See, I hear you. That's interpreting Bible right. Praise God. Alright, so the, the promises of God are there. If you do not know, it's not because it is not there. Is it that you are ignorant or you don't want to read? Why do you think the Bible says study to show yourself approved? How can you be approved? The word approved means you prove yourself ready to reign and rule in that era through the knowledge of the world. Because it says my people are destroyed for lack of word knowledge. So the word of God is there. Also the promises of God are also revealed to us by the Holy Ghost. There are times the Spirit of God will give us promises. And some of these promises are linked up to our prophetic destiny. We're talking, I'm going to talk about that when we talk about seasonal preparation on Sunday. There are promises God will give to you, specific promises. Those ones has to do with direction. Most of the direction of the Spirit or the promises of the Spirit are based on direction. Because if God wants you to do a business, your business is not written in the Bible. But the principle is there. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like if God says, I want you to go and say Pamoye. You will not see Pamoye in the Bible. But the principle is in the Bible that God leads. Is that also? And the benefit of being led is in the Bible so you can claim it. When you know exactly what the Holy Ghost has led you to do. As a lady that was in Benin, God spoke to her to go and say Pamoye. And she stepped out and did that. And through that business, because God led her, the blessings of God was upon her. 
And through that, I think she was a widow, she trained all her children in the university. Every single one of them. Because when God gives a promise, he's committed to his promise. Say amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Write this down. The promises of God are the assurances or guarantees of God. Every promise of God is an assurance or a guarantee from God. Every promise of God, whether it's in the written scripture or given to you by the Holy Ghost, is a guarantee from God. When God promised you long life in scripture, it is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's an assurance. Write this too. God is bound to his word. God can never go against his word. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, NLT, if you can put it there. But for time's sake, I'm going to read it. It says, for all of God's promises, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled or guaranteed in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to glory for his, uh, to God for his glory. In, New King, I mean, in King James, it says, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ or in him. What does that tell you? That means all the promises of God in scripture has been guaranteed by God himself. Are you listening to what I'm saying? God backed it up by his character and guaranteed it to us through Christ. Say amen. amen. Jesus is the guarantee of every promise of God. Hallelujah. Jesus is the guarantee. The Bible says the surety of the new covenant. Now, God proved or proved his guarantee or his promise guaranteed to Abraham and then to the new creation or the church. Go to book of Hebrew chapter 6 verse 13 to 20. I'm reading from New King James Version. God always guarantees his word. If you notice the promise he gave to Abraham, he said, if you do this, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Then when he tested him with his son and Abraham passed the test, he said, by myself have I swore. Quickly, um, Hebrew chapter 6 verse 13 to 20. I'm reading from New King James Version. It begins with Abraham. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, because there's no one greater than God, he swore by himself. Well, why, why, why was God swearing? To guarantee his promise to Abraham that this word I have given to you will not fail. Verse 14, saying, surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, that means he stood in the place of faith. He obtained the promise. Hallelujah. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say it's possible to obtain the promise. I didn't hear a good one. Say it's possible to obtain the promise. Verse 16. He now tells a little bit about what an oath is when people take an oath. For men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. When people go and jump court and they tell them to take an oath, is that not so? That oath becomes a guarantee 
that you will not break the terms of the covenant they have with you. Is that not so? And it's very sacred. Alright, that's for men who. But thus God, verse 17, determining to show more abundantly, that is, even above the realm of men, but to the heirs of promise, mark that word, heirs of promise. That word, heirs of promise, is the same word, heirs, in Romans 8, where it says we are heirs of God and joint heirs. The word heirs of God means we, are, we have legitimate access to the patrimony of God. Let me break it this way. That means we have legitimate right through Christ to the inheritance of who God is and what he possesses. As a child of God, you are a heir of God and joint heir with Christ. You are part of the same honor that Christ has with the Father. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I don't think you get it right. Because if you do, you shout. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this present world. God cannot look at you outside Christ. The same honor with which he looks at Christ is the same honor with which he looks at you. The question is, are you seeing yourself the way he sees you or are you seeing yourself the way you see yourself? And because you are a heir of God, you are also a heir of the promise. Meaning that all the promises of God belongs to you. Are you hearing me? All the promises of God does what? They belong to me. And God says, to ensure that I guarantee each promise to you. And uh, he, said, he said, for many did swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation. Okay, verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. The word immutable means it cannot be broken. It cannot change. The immutability of his counsel. The promises of God are immutable by nature because they are solid as God himself. Are you listening to what I'm saying? The immutability of confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things. What are the two immutable things? Number one, the promise. And number two, the oath that God took. When God gives you a promise, it's irrevocable. God cannot go back on his word. Never, ever. Which it is, in, and these two immutable factors are based on the character of God that says, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Did you hear what I said? If there is one thing Satan is trying to prove to the believer, is that God lies. The Bible says it is what? impossible <laughs> it is in what impossible for God to lie for God to break his promise means that he can lie but he can't his promise is as solid and reliable as his character that's why God and his word is one why because the immutability of his promise and his oath is based on the character of his nature that says it is impossible for God lie. When you, remind, when you remind yourself of this one, Satan will lose his grip in your life. Say amen. amen. He said, for which is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong confidence or consolation 
who have fled for refuge. The word refuge means a place of safe haven to lay hold on the hope set before us. That word hope means the expectation that we have that is based on his promises. We are so assured that we are going to receive or obtain the promise because all the promises of God are based on the immutable counsel of God that is based on his character that says that God can not lie. Say, I hear you. Say, I hear you. And this is based on Christ. Christ gave us access to this wonderful package in God. Look at what it says in verse 9. This hope that we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast. And which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Simply means, when, when, when you release your faith, on the promise of God and you take a stand of faith on God's promise one of the ministry or present day ministry of Jesus as a high priest is to ensure that your faith on that word delivers to you say amen, amen. are you hearing what I'm saying so the way you cooperate with the present day ministry of Jesus that is working for your good and making intercession for you is so that the guarantee that redemption offers is practicalized in your life through your faith say I hear you are you listening to what I'm saying? That's why you must locate the promises of God. And, and, and when you locate what God's promises says in an era, understand the foundation behind every promise of God. The promise of God is immutable. It's based on the immutability of God, which is his promise and his oath. God swore in Christ, just like he swore to Abraham. He took an oath in Christ to assure you and I that whatever he has promised us will not fail us. Are you listening to what I'm saying? That's why you must let your, your, your root must be firmly rooted, deepened in the promise. Doubt wants to check your foundation. But if you remind yourself of the promise, the promise reminds you that God is immutable. His word cannot change. He will never go back on his word. Say, I hear you. Thank you for joining us today. Your generosity helps us to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can give on our website at www.therefugehc.org. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like these.